0: There they go. Pastor D's like Moses leading the sheep. Wonderful. What a joy to be together. I I so enjoy the Sermon on the Mount as we finished that up last week. Today, we start a new study of God's Word as we work through the book of Galatians together. Take your Bibles, please, and open them up to the book of Galatians. Find it after First and Second Corinthians. Kind of a subtitle, if you will, of this underlying theme that will—the drum kind of gets beat all throughout Paul's letter to the church of Galatians. You see it up there on the well. You might see it. It's bright outside. It's kind of hard to see that color, but it's the fruitful gospel of grace. I mean, if I'm trying to think of ways to summarize Galatians. Uh, It certainly points to fruitful living and it points to God's gospel, but of course it is a masterpiece on the grace of God. By way of introduction, um, I just want to remind you, one of our precious missionaries serves in Bangalore, India. India has a reputation as a nation known as... um, it's, it's home to some of the most religious people on the face of the planet. It's the land of a million gods, although that's not quite accurate in its description. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Hinduism now numbers 300 million plus gods, by the way it works. Can you imagine just trying to walk through a day and not offend one of the gods? I'm not trying to be too light about that, but I mean, I struggle enough With Yahweh, his revealed word, trying to walk in obedience to him with the Holy Spirit enabling me. And you've got 300 million gods you are constantly concerned about aggravating or ticking off. They're everywhere. They're on the dashboards of cabs. If you catch a cab from the airport to the place that you're staying, they're in the hotels, they're at the street vendors. They've got these carved images to these gods. People will stop while they're walking and bow down to worship a tree or an animal or an inanimate object. It's really something to behold. They work feverishly, tirelessly to impress one of those gods, in the hope that that God will do something for them. They work tirelessly to stand right before God. But they don't know peace. They don't know the truth. And they don't know forgiveness that's complete. Now, I'm not suggesting that Western idolatry is on par with our Hindu fellow human beings, but we still have a lot of distractions and a lot of things competing for our worship. We can still be filled, watch this, with religious efforts, tireless efforts to try to impress God. Now, this applies to people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They think if their good works outweighs their bad works, then they'll earn their way to heaven. But I've got news for you. It applies to the very real and present danger of religious fervor cloaked in sincerity. Here's a word I like to use. Loyalty, honor, surrender. And it's just legalism with church clothes on. Paul is writing this letter to the Galatian church that he helped establish. He went through this region and preached the gospel and made disciple-making disciples. I'll come back to a little of the geography in a moment. But he's, he's writing this letter because they're struggling with a very specific type of legalism. I'll unpack that in just a bit. The letter of Galatians is a powerful dose, a powerful dose of grace that addresses the solution to legalism. A good grasp on the grace of God helps us undo any self-imposed pressure of tireless efforts to try to impress God. Grace is for those trapped in legalism. It's for those who are agents of legalism. But there's another audience that I think this letter is also for. May I submit to you this morning that Galatians is also a calling back home to the prodigal. The one who's, by their own design, put themselves away from God and tried to get away from the things of God and found themselves in the proverbial pig pen of life. Get back to grace. It's a reminder to us all to come back to grace. Typically when we sin, we feel the desire to hide. We either try to hide the sin or we hide ourselves. Ask any parent where the kid breaks something. If they can, they hide the thing they broke and typically the kid is also hiding somewhere in the house. Has anybody seen? Where's my son? Where's he? Why are you hiding? I didn't break it. Didn't break what, right? (laughs) And we all laugh because that's the way kids behave, but it's the way we behave too. When we blow it badly, how do we solve that problem on our own? Where do we turn when we've embittered our child with harsh words? Where do we turn when we betrayed our spouse with sheer stupidity? Where do we turn when we have alienated a coworker or a classmaker, a classmate rather, or a sibling with a series of me first choices? Where do we turn when we've driven a wedge between friends or we've found ourselves sowing discord among the church family? Where do we go when we've been insensitive, thoughtless, or downright obnoxious? How do we respond when we've drifted away from the faith, compromised the gospel, or turned our back on God? These are great questions from our brother, R. Kent Hughes. You know what the answer is? We come back to grace. We come back to God, and he's there to meet us with grace. Paul longs to see this gospel of grace unleashed on the church. Churches in the Galatian region there. You can hear it in his words. I long to see it unleashed on us, my own life as well. I wonder one more time if you'd join me in prayer before we dive into the text. Lord, when you look down upon this earth, you see a world that is turned away from you, rebelled against your rule, spurned your love and been indifferent to your glory. Truly, we are fallen and deserving of your fierce anger and judgment. And yet, you've not stood far off in disgust. You've not come to destroy us. You graciously visited us in person and redeemed us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He took on our very humanity, shared in all our joys and sorrows, suffered unspeakably, and died horrifically for us on the cross, all so that we might serve you without fear, in holiness and righteousness all of our days. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for pardoning us freely, for counting us righteous for adopting us as your beloved children, for crucifying our old nature and raising us to new life in Christ. Lord, it is our greatest joy to serve you gladly and wholeheartedly as you call us and equip us for good works. In Jesus' name, amen. Somewhere around 25 B.C., Galatia was converted to a Roman province. The Romans added territory in the southern region and planted these four cities, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Those should sound familiar because Paul addresses those later on. Those are cities where Paul evangelized, made disciple-making disciples, and helped establish churches. Between the time that Paul did all that work and the writing of the letter to the Galatians, some stuff happened. Y'all see what I did there? Like some stuff happened, right? Somebody broke something and tried to hide something. So there's a group in Jerusalem. They're called Judaizers. That sounds kind of official. Sounds like a cool club. They probably had letter jackets with a J on it that said Judaizers. They held conferences. They would go into church cities and towns and hold conferences. And the workshops were called "You're doing it wrong." <laughs> They went to Christians that were outside of the Jewish faith. This is what the Judaizers believed. When They encountered folks who had said yes to Jesus, but didn't come up as Jews. So they called everybody Gentiles that wasn't a Jew. You were either Jewish or you weren't, right? And if you weren't Jewish, but then started following the Messiah, these Judaizers wanted to come help set you straight. So they would come to you and say, hey, it's wonderful that you like some of the Jewish faith, but you really need to embrace all of it. And so then they would lay all of the laws, all of the customs, all of the festivals, all of the rituals, all of the routines, all of the practices on those Gentile Christians and saying, you're only a half believer in God unless you do all these things. Well, that's kind of awful. I mean, that's, that's bad. And you would think people evangelized by the Apostle Paul, Right? The one the Holy Spirit's using to write this stuff down to train all of us, you're like, well, if anybody's got a solid foundation, they've got it together. Paul, like, is gone, proverbially, five minutes and says, I had it read this morning. We won't get to that part of the text in the sermon today. But he says, I'm I'm shocked at how quickly you turned away. Like, I left you good stuff. I left you instructions. I modeled things for you. I go away. You attend one workshop. And you're ready to change everything, and you're confused? Whoa, 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 whoa. let's deal with this. <laughs> like I said, they're, 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 you're doing it wrong. You've got to do this. You have to cross this I and dot this T. Jesus didn't say that. Scripture didn't actually necessarily teach that that was required under Christ and this new covenant that was coming. But they were wanting everybody to look a certain way. If you really want to please God, you have to do it this way. That's legalism. It's legalism. I'll get to that in just a moment. Let me give you a word of caution here as we're going to come hard after legalism this morning because the text does. Let me give you just a quick word of caution. There are expectations. There are designs and even demands communicated by God in his word for believers. You're not saved and then just kind of figure this thing out on your own and float around on happy little clouds and sing the hallelujah chorus and hope you don't offend anybody and bump into folks. No, there's a path to run. Not only did he pick us up out of the maury clay, but the psalmist even got it. He established our goings. He gave us a path to run on. But when men come up with things and try to bind your conscience with the dogma, the same kind of dogma that they hold to the word of God with, but it's not in there. Houston, we have a problem. Okay? That's what we're going after today. We are called to live as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Judaizers were calling people to live as Jews first, Christians second. I'm not here to dog out any denominations, but my wife and I have a story we could easily share where we were at a beach gathering with some folks and somebody said something, said, well, it's something about the Baptist church. And, and the lady perked up, we thought she was asleep. She sat there and she stood up and she said, I'd be a Baptist before I'd be anything else. To which her son-in-law said, even a Christian memo? She said, the two go hand in hand, right? Houston, we may have a problem. You've met these folks that are, they've got an identity to hang on to above their Christianity. That's what the Judaizers were. The Galatian Christians are now wondering, wait a minute, did Paul not tell us the whole story? Why did he leave this part out? Like a surgeon preparing for a quick, immediate emergency surgery, Paul's greeting to the Galatian church is fast, it's immediate, and it's like dynamite to legalism. Look at what's at stake. If you just kind of glance in what we just read, you'll see that Paul's writing about grace. That's a big deal. Peace. That's a big deal. The authoritative message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a big deal. The glory of God and our ability to display it, that is a big deal. This is life and death stuff. This is life to those who are headed down the destructive path of legalism. It's life to those prodigals who are convinced there's no way back home. Paul is about to unleash on them grace. God's grace. Amazing grace, God's message, the gospel. Let's look at verse one together. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Okay, you're in your daily Bible reading and you come up to Galatians, you start reading, you're like, oh, this sounds like all the other letters he's reading and you just kind of tick it off and read. But when you know that context, That Paul's choosing his words by inspiration of the Holy Spirit very carefully. The Holy Spirit's inspiring Paul to write down this scripture so carefully and precise. It's the surgeon walking into the room, like Dr. Hilliard Siegler walked into the room when our first year of marriage, when we're at Duke University. And this this top surgeon at Duke University comes into the room to me and he's done some tests, he's talked to the nurse, and I'm thinking, is he ever going to acknowledge that I'm in the room? And then time stood still. He puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, son, this is serious. But we're going after it. It was the metastasized cancer in my lymph nodes. I was diagnosed with in year one of marriage. You want to grow up fast in your marriage? Or rather skip some things that you have to deal with later. That might be better. That Ashley would say, honey, yeah, fix that. Clean that up. Um, that'll do it. God's grace was present that moment. But he didn't walk in and go like, hi, I'm Hilliard Siegler. Uh, Tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, that's very interesting. It's great to know. I like to establish a rapport with my patients. No, this was not that. This was we're getting you in next week. This is serious and we're going after it. That's what Paul's doing here. He's like, I'm an apostle, not from men nor from men. I want you to notice this first point here. Amazing grace, he's making it right off the back. This is not, men didn't come up with this first thing. It's from God. You've got four points this morning. We'll move quickly through the rest of the text because it moves quickly. I'm not moving quickly. It moves quickly. Amazing grace is from God. He says, I'm an apostle. He's establishing his authority to convey the message. He's not a Judaizer. He's not here to add on to God's message. He's here because Jesus Christ personally appointed him to reveal the message. Wow. Paul's not there to give the preliminary assessment of the Jerusalem council or, or anything like that. No, he's there to say, I'm here to reset you, to recalibrate you to the grace of God. This didn't come from or through men. This was from God. And lest you mistake who it is, first one, he says, this is through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul is insisting that he's the real agent of grace. His point, as he's pointing to his apostleship, he's pointing them, he's reminding them that he was called to be an apostle to share the grace of God to Jews and Gentiles. This is also the point of Galatians. Galatians exists for grace. Grace. Paul makes a case for his conversion and apostleship not by pointing back to some moment in time. But if you go back and look through Acts and hear Paul's account and you you see how this happened and you hear Paul testify even before Agrippa when he tells the story, he talks about the fact that he was heading one way, loving sin loving to do the things that were working against God, and then had an encounter with God and change direction and begin to head the other way. That's metanoia. That's repentance. That's what it looks like. It's, I love sin. I hate God. I love sin. And maybe you wouldn't say you hate God, but you don't get to do both, right? I love sin. I'm going to do all that sin wants me to do. And then, boom, God gets a hold of your heart. Confronts you with the reality of his grace, turns you around. And now you love God and hate sin. And I love God and I hate sin. I gotta deal with it time to time, but I love God. Paul had this turning. He wasn't pointing to a sign card or a come forward kind of moment. He said, My life has been transformed. I am what I am by the grace of God. Have you been converted? Have you been changed by the power of God? Have you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as higher and holier than you could see before a moment in time when the Holy Spirit did a work in your heart? Have you come to see yourself as more desperately sinful and wicked than you ever cared to admit until you saw the Savior? Have you been saved? Saved from what? Saved from yourself. Saved from all your all-consuming selfish desires. Have you been delivered from the oppression of of sin, for the believer, for the follower of Jesus, the answer is yes, 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 a thousand times yes. If you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit and converted by the grace of God, then you will witness that transformation in your life. Paul could say with authority, I am what I am by the grace of God. What's the big deal? Why is it important that he starts with it's from God? Well, let me tell you something. This message started from God. The gospel starts with God, not you, not me. God, God is the beginning. He's the author. Let me show you a few marks of legalism really quickly this morning. Three little marks of legalism. Number one, it's working in our own power. I can do this. I can handle this. Me, me, me. I got this. Legalism. Uh, the Bible's good, but let me give you thirty-five other points that you need to know so that you're gonna be okay. Come on, it's working in our own power. It's working by our own rules. I know that none of you have ever dealt with legalism before. I can tell by your faces. Like this is a foreign concept. You've never been under somebody that just kept piling on rules, and it was a never-ending carrot in front of you that you never seemed to grab. You kept doing all the things, but just couldn't seem to get there. Working by our own rules. The word of God is insufficient for the legalist tyrant and working to earn God's favor. If I do this, maybe God will heal that. If I just work hard enough here, maybe God will answer right there. If I do this, maybe God will. I I, I just want to. I've got to. I need God to do something. So I'm going to do all these things. Legalistic preachers see their pulpits as thrones to rule from instead of sacred desks to serve from. Legalistic leaders are dogmatic about the wrong things. They're demeaning, they're domineering, and they're demanding. And you wouldn't use a one of those words to describe the Holy Spirit, would you? There's a gut check for you. I'm not here to build an empire. I'm here to lock arms with you to build the kingdom of God together by the grace of God. All of those trappings of legalisms are dispelled by the fact that it all starts and it's from God. Even though men didn't initiate the work of God in Paul's life, his conversion story did involve others. Do you remember his conversion? If not, go look it up. You'll find... Ananias is a part of the story, the disciple who was in Damascus, who God moved on and said, hey, I've got a man over there that's blind. I'm doing a work in his life. I need you to go minister to him. Guys, Ananias is like, yes, Lord. I've been wanting to be used for so long. This is, I'm, hold on. You good? I got to go do something for God. All right, God, who am I going to go see? He's like, it's Saul of Tarsus. He goes, what? It's who of what now? Do you know that? I know you know all things, God. You're sovereign. You're amazing. You're awesome. But this guy? Really? This guy? He said, yeah. That's not in the ESV trip. That's kind of paraphrase, sorry. But essentially there's this dialogue and Ananias goes and prays so so there were other people there as Paul is working through his conversion experience, but Paul writes this letter. Look at verse 2. He's not doing it alone. Paul didn't show up alone. There's no strength in solitude in Christianity, by the way. We need each other. And Paul, again, this dynamite introduction says, and all the brothers who are with me. He's writing this. It's from God. And here's your second point. This amazing grace is for the family. It's for God's family. When God saves you, he doesn't set you on the Isle of Patmos. (laughs) He doesn't put you on the rock to stand by yourself. No, he calls you into the body of Christ. And it's awesome. Not just because church people can cook, although they can. Or they find out things that you like and get them for you. That's not what this is about. He calls you in the body of Christ to remind you, you are not alone. Notice Paul here is contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Paul is contending for the purity of the gospel here to a church that's lost their way and he's got people with him. Brothers that agree with him in the message, they're standing with him, they're coming with him. This could easily, by the way, from a translation standpoint, let me just give you this because this is the kind of nerdy stuff you expect us preachers to say, but the word here could have been brothers and sisters and some of your translations may say that. Hear me now. That's not politically motivated. That's not a progressive translation of the text. That word literally translates brothers and sisters in various places. And if we look at Paul's life, you see men with Paul when he travels. That's probably wise for a myriad of reasons. You also see, though, women speaking into Paul's life and discipling him at an early time in his life. So here's the point. Don't get hung up on the men there. Get get hung up on the fact that Paul's not alone. He's got people with him that agree with him, that stand together with him. Paul is not alone in writing this. He's not alone in thinking this. He had others who had been transformed by the power of God who were studying the scriptures together, who agreed on the beauty of the simplicity of the gospel together, and who wanted to make sure that people knew God's grace was enough. It's enough. Do you have people like that in your life? Now, wait before you go like, Before you do that, remember where you're seated, like look around. That's what these pews are for, to remind you that there are people like that in your life. It's hard to connect in a Sunday morning gathering like we need to connect and should connect. Wouldn't it be great if the church, like set the table for you to feast on God's word and interact on God's word together on a regular basis? Oh, wait, at 9 a.m. we do. (laughs) So avail yourself to that. We need some more together. You don't need more alone and solitude. You need more together with the body of Christ. One of the surest protections against going off on some tangent, doctrinally, that actually pulls you away from the grace of God and toward some humanistic, legalistic doctrine. One of the surest defenses against that is to surround yourself with godly women and men who know the truth and will hold you accountable in love to the truth. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful for Grace Covenant Church. This amazing grace was from God. It's for his family. And here's one I love. Don't you? As we look at the next, it's free. It's free. It was very expensive. It cost the father his son, but it's free to us. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful there. It's free. Look, it's to you. It's not from you. It's grace to you and peace to you. From whom? From God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This was God's plan. Grace and peace in the lives of those who are in Christ because they have received the free gift of God. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, you know it, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2.8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Boy, we love to boast when we accomplish something, don't we? Just look at Instagram. Romans 5, 17. For because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more were those who receive listen, the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, that's Romans 5, Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The only thing you did to get the grace of God was sin. Well, I I don't see it that way. Okay, then you inhaled and exhaled and sinned. You didn't earn anything. This is not something you could have earned. The Bible teaches us that our sin and our rebellion are ingredients for disaster, But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God has accepted the gift of Jesus Christ's death as payment in full for your sins and my sins and raised him from the dead. Jesus defeated sin. Jesus defeated death as the perfect sinless lamb of God. He's the example of what humanity strives to be but cannot. (laughs) Jesus is God's appointed king, he's God's appointed judge, but thank God he's also the savior from judgment. What a gracious God. Because of his death in our place, he now offers to forgive all of our sins they've already been paid for. We can make a fresh start with God, No longer as rebels, but as loyal friends, giving thanks and praise to Him and bringing Him glory because of His free gift of grace. What a God. What a Savior. This is good news. This is grace. This is God's message. Not only is it from God and for the family and free, but let's look at verses 4 and 5. This Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God... And Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's my fourth and final point this morning. This amazing grace is freeing. It's not just free as a transaction. It will set you free. If you get a grasp of the grace of God, it will undo some significant bad doctrine and teaching in your life. If you look back at this text, you see this grace brings peace. It's for our sins. It delivers us from this evil age. It enables us to glorify God. We need to be rescued from the power of sin, from the dominion of sin. Sin is a lordless power, a godless force. And sin is not merely a one-time thing, a one-time event. I sin and then, oh, it's done. No, it has lingering effects, and we are affected by how it lingers. Is there a way to break free from it? Is there a way to break free from sin that so easily trips us up all the time? Paul says, yes, there is a way. But it's not going back toward the law. It's walking toward the cross. Where we see God's grace on display. Deliverance from sin and from this present evil age only comes one way. Indeed, grace itself only comes one way through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. John would underscore it again in 1 John 3 when he says he laid down his life for us. The death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ alone explains the presence of grace in our lives. You didn't earn it. You weren't special. Sorry, I know I'm in America. It's 2022. I don't think I'm allowed to say that. But you weren't special any more than anybody else. (laughs) You didn't earn it, you didn't set your life up or position your life a certain way to be at the right time, at the right place. No, God is sovereign, he's awesome and his amazing grace found you lost. He wasn't lost. He came to you and called you into his family and the death, burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ alone uh, is the wellspring that opens up this incredible gift of justification. That's the work of God. We stand righteous before God, not because of what we do or have done, but because of what he's done. Our sanctification is the work of God. That's the one we like the least, right? Wouldn't it be awesome if we could get saved? Say, yes, Lord, and then shoot right up into heaven, right? Well, if God's total purpose of saving you was to get you to heaven, why didn't that happen? Like, right Right as you get saved, you say, yes, Lord, I repent of my faith in Jesus. I'm ready. That's all I got, right? Come on. What's going on with that? Our sanctification, that's God working in us through the process of our lives to make us more like Jesus so the people around us can see the holiness of God on display. Our glorification, you're not involved in that either. That's the work of God. This is grace. It's the free gift of God. Romans 6. You'll hear it at the baptism. You'll hear me use Romans 6 as part of the liturgy when I bring people up out of the water. It's so that we can walk in the newness of life, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. The Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, There is legalism. No, not in the book. It says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's liberty. Paul will unpack this freedom later on. I don't have time to get into it today, but let me just say this about the freedom because it's being abused today as some of our ex-evangelicals are deconstructing and they're doing it very publicly for all to see and... Folks that start on that pathway 10, Ashley and I have seen it time and time again. We watch certain metrics. When they do this, then next is coming that. When they do that, next is coming this. Then they'll start saying this, start reading this author, and then they're gone. Some of you uh, others observe that? So as this happens, one of the things we see is this talk of freedom. and the freedom in Christ. I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. Don't judge me. I'm free in Christ. I've got my freedom in Christ. And they mean that to get totally sloshed and to get totally uh, sideways and to do all the things that bring them pleasure and consumption in life. But that's not the freedom that the Bible speaks of. You see, when they talk about freedom, when people who don't have their eyes on Jesus talk about freedoms, they say, you know, Christ set me free to be me. I've got to be me. No. The freedom the Bible talks about is this kind of freedom. I'm totally free to be His. His. I'm His workmanship. I'm clay on His potter's wheel. I'm free to draw others to Him. Grace, the acrostic's been given, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's the ultimate reset for the one trapped in legalism. There's grace in Jesus, and it's amazing. There's peace from Jesus, and it is amazing. Instead of working in our own power, you are animated by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You die to self so that Christ may rule and reign on the throne of your hearts and work through us. Paul would later write in Galatians, it's not even me living, it's Christ living in and through me. So we're not working in our own power. Instead of working by our own rules, you come to realize that everything, every single thing that you ought to do by God's grace, you can do. First Peter 1 tells us that we have been born again. He's caused us to have a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. God has given us everything we need to live godly lives right from his word and his spirit. Instead of working to earn God's favor, you recognize that you have God's favor because you have Jesus. End of story. You're favored. You are blessed and highly favored regardless of your bank account. You're blessed and highly favored regardless of your living situation. You are blessed and highly favored regardless of how your relationships might be thriving, surviving, or dying at the moment. You're blessed and highly favored because you're His, and His grace is sufficient for you. The Bible says we're justified by His grace as a gift. We don't have to earn this. We, we, willingly, we willingly engage in faithful living and diligent living and surrender and self-denial, but we do it as a way to point others to Christ, and we do it out of abundance of gratitude for the grace that we have received. I want you to be able to sing the song. I want grace to get such a grip of your life that you can sing that Gaither song that says, I'm free from the fear of tomorrow. I'm free from the guilt of the past, for I've traded my shackles for a glorious song. I'm free, praise the Lord, free at last. I'm gonna ask Julia to take her place at the piano and the musicians to come back up as we respond to the text in just a moment. A song of worship. Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. It's been referred to as the Christian's Declaration of Dependence. It's the Charter of Freedom, also known as. Dr. Merrill Tenney gave us this gem, if you think about it, because if these Judaizers would have been successful, watch this. Christianity might have been just one more Jewish sect, and the thought of Western world might have been entirely pagan had Galatians not been written. Aren't you so thankful for the Word of God? The way God had it written. The people He had it written to and the fact that He's preserved it for us and it applies to us today. Hear me, friend. Galatians calls us to liberty. It's the message of freedom. Freedom from the bondage of legalism. Freedom for the prodigal who's trying to find their way home. Have you experienced this amazing grace in your life? While Julia plays... If you haven't, you need to call on Jesus. You need to ask God to forgive your sins and put your faith and trust in him. I've talked to you and shown you what repentance looks like today. That's God doing that work. Amazing grace is more than just a song we sing. To my brother and sister this morning, have you put your eyes on the systems of man instead of the grace of God? Get in the word and get back to grace to my prodigal watching online or maybe seated in the pew this morning or the soon to be prodigal if you continue down the path you're going, come back home, come back to grace. You don't have to work to earn it. It's free, it's freeing. It's from the father and he's calling you into the family. When we make a mistake, when we blow it, when we mess up, we wanna hide. Don't hide, get in the word. Because the word points you to God. And God is the giver of grace. And grace has a name. The Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder they call it amazing. Let's pray. confesses a body this morning, your word is enough. Jesus, you are enough, and your grace is sufficient. We love you, Lord. We bless you. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen.